Good afternoon and welcome to the Medical Sports Nutrition Podcast with myself, Dr. Andy Matheson. So, uh, we're going to run through a couple of topics today. The first, just looking at aging and circadian rhythms and why it might be something we all will be thinking about more and more. Uh, then we'll move on to a another age-related uh, issue called sarcopenia and is it something we need to think about? Is it something that we've over-medicalized? And then finally, we'll run through a, a Tim Noakes paper that had come up that looked really interesting. So the first bit, the so so this is circadian timing, and the um, the thing that a couple of things got me onto this. One was just reading a paper in Nature Communications called "Importance of Circadian Timing for Aging and Longevity," and first author Acostas Rodriguez, last author Takahashi. Now, I don't know if um, any of you listen to other podcasts, but the Rhonda Patrick stuff on aging I've always found really useful, and it's probably my go-to place for stuff that I can really make head or tail of. If you're aware of that, then you're you're probably quite aware that the science of understanding why and how we age is, is really rapidly evolving. And we think there may be something to do with it in circadian timing and rhythm uh, and basically all these little clocks that tick down in our body and how they get uh, encouraged or how they get controlled by the normal cycles of our day-to-day life. So our normal kind of wake-sleep cycles. So what's that got to do with... um, Food and sports nutrition. Well, the next step we have is, oh well, can is it something we can influence with nutrition? And and that's where this article was good and just talking talking about dietary restriction and what and why it might work. Um, so re- recommend sort of running through it. It it starts with a bit about the sort of circadian rhythms and injury, aging, and a bit about sort of central clock hypothesis and how it's linked to, to all these other pathways within the body, um, and how dietary interventions might cause changes in a variety of pathways. The sorts of pathways which we're, we're quite familiar with in sports nutrition, PGC1-alpha, mTOR, that then have an effect on aging as well as effects on our athletes. And there's a really nice little table in the middle about which things are pro-aging and which things are anti-aging. Uh, and I imagine if you're like me and you've done the sort of sports nutrition bits, the first thing you'll look at is, oh, you'll say, well, mTOR is pro-aging, but uh, I get everyone to do that. And we'll, we'll touch on, on that little conundrum a little later on when we, we start talking about some of the sarcopenia stuff. But it's, it's certainly not, it's, it's not necessarily the things we think that will uh, cause aging that, that do. Um, so, Really nice update on the, sort of the different trials where our understanding is and where, where sort of food and fasting may impact. Um, and for just getting an idea or something that we can kind of point people towards for what is the evidence at the moment. And another amazing little table in this one is just it's a picture of all the different animal trials and, and whether or not dietary um, 
interventions extended lifespan and in which dietary interventions done for the just the different animals now the last one's the most disappointing because for humans essentially there's no good trials but if you happen to be a mouse and you're keen to know what can get you living a little longer there's some good data there um and then yeah a little bit just on the talking then again about the different types of dietary restrictions calorie restriction time restriction fasting how how this all may fit in and why this might make you uh live longer and a little bit on ketogenic the um the bit that it then goes on to and where they're there, I think their real interest in is it starts talking about is there a way with rather than using dietary interventions, is there a way with medications that we can actually start to influence this sort of circadian pattern? So rather than waiting um, for someone to buy into quite a difficult uh, sort of intervention or, or not possible in some athletes, uh, sort of dietary and restrictive intervention, is there a medicine we can give them? Which feels like we're sort of over-medicalizing it, but they they, they use the phrase circadian medicine, and essentially it's just this idea of actually we can can use things like calorie restriction mimetics, they call them, and if we give them at the right time, it will enhance the the circadian rhythm and and improve uh, these different... uh, these different measures for for aging um so clearly going to be something i'm sure they will be selling a lot of and who knows may, may be that it's one of those things that will be what leads us towards kind of longer quality of life um the the other bit i quite uh, that got me thinking about this other than just being an interesting article was one of the reasons i was sort of starting to to dig around on it was was another article that i had seen um in uh it was nature communications biology and this one actually got into the papers a little bit so it was excess uh, s adenosarmethionine inhibits methylation via catabolism to adenine and a lot of the articles in the kind of media were set, were talking about so this is s-a-a-m-e i have to say i don't know how it's properly pronounced i'm just going to call it same um at the moment which is a supplement that has a bit of evidence in people with fatigue syndromes fibromyalgia osteoarthritis but one of those ones where it it doesn't seem to have crossed over particularly into sports i've not seen many athletes use it and i've not seen much data on it being effective in uh improving performance Although it's not that different, and it's one of the uh, betaine is actually a precursor to it. So is it something where that there is a bit going on in sports? It's just using a slightly different different option for it. But what this article was saying was that um, these methylation reactions work on um, these these biological rhythms that we're talking about. Um, and actually, the disruption by this medication, the SAME medication, disrupts the rhythms um, and leads to toxic methylation in inhibitors. And their argument is actually, 
we're with this supplement, we don't understand enough about it and how this links into this new biology of aging. But it would appear uh, on this this initial study um, that actually it's, it's probably got a negative impact on it. So certainly something I, 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 I would think, unless you've got a re- an athlete that's really hung up on having their this medication or something similar, which we know works on on kind of those methyl methylation pathways, you might be starting to think, oh, okay, maybe we'll, we'll pause on that for a moment. Um, so in, interesting stuff, and in, in just one of these, uh, yeah, one of these kind of moving moving pictures and just, just trying to get an, a couple of articles that just give a nice idea about where you might need to be, be thinking on it. So um, moving on, the next bit we were going to talk about is something called sarcopenia, which uh, creeps in more and more, especially with some of our older athletes, our master's athletes. And before, I think I've touched on it when I was talking about uh, the need to increase protein as you age. And this idea that for some reason, when you hit about 40, the body just says, right, we're going to start getting rid of some of your muscle mass. And it's almost like a programmed thing that the body does at that point. The the medical interest in this is we know that losing muscle mass leads to all sorts of negative things. Um, it is poor for your mortality. And so sarcopenia and this kind of umbrella, the umbrella term of sarcopenia has been used as something to kind of grab onto to develop sarcopenia clinics, label it as a disease rather than just a, a normal process. And then maybe it's something we can fight, get funding for, get clinics for, um, target and something patients can, can un- sort of buy into. Um, and so in 2016 it got an ICD code uh, it, but a little disagreement on, on, on whether or not that's been, been helpful um, where it sits in our athletes very much practical and important and they think there's probably about a 1% power decline per year as you go from age 30 to 70 so I think most of us are very confident and seen what happens to athletes powers as they age and in we know what works for that um, as much as we can, and that's uh, yeah, increasing and increasing, increasing that protein requirement and getting across that it's something that can't be left as you as you age, and then adapting the sort of training that they do to not only keep going with the endurance stuff, but bring in all this injury prevention um, work to maintain the right muscle mass. Um, but uh, as far as sarcopenia, wide more wider. Um, in where it fits into some of the uh, sort of biochemistry that we think about in sports nutrition. A couple of useful articles that I found on the back of that BMJ one. Uh, the BMJ one was just called Sarcopenia Early Prevention or Overdiagnosis, and it was by Haas et al. Um, the Frontiers in uh, new Genetics article I saw was Sarcopenia, What is the Origin of This Aging-Induced Disorder? And that was by Gustafsson and Ulfhaker. And what I quite liked on that is um, they just did a nice rundown of it about where where this idea had come from. A little bit, again, just on this increasing understanding of the biology of ageing. And again, and this is a recurring theme, the impact that calorie and dietary restriction seems to have and, and why it might have an impact and how it might work. Uh, and then as, as it goes on, there's... Um, 
there's a good bit at the bottom. I'll just get to it. Um, it just talking about what what can we do about it, and this uh, so it, it runs through a bit of why does the muscle mass go in in because there was a, a lot of information, but nothing really particularly clear on why or where it, it tends to be lost, and in, in, in lots of studies on the kind of impact of it, um, but nothing nothing that we wouldn't really think about. Um, but then just a nice little bit at the end talking about some of the pathways we're f- very familiar with and, and we look to turn on, such as things like the mTOR pathway. Um, but obviously it's putting it as the last article is something that's negative for this anti-aging and sarcopenia pr- process. Um, and the next article kind of go, explains that, that, that kind of odd odd idea there because it certainly isn't what we'd be expecting from from our thoughts of okay what but what what do we see in people that do sort of power training um and, and the the other the the next article which I, I think i probably found the most useful from my understanding was um it was it was called sarcopenia causes and treatments it was in the german journal of sports medicine and it was a really lovely just starts with just different questions, runs through them. And the first one is, what, sort of, uh, for, why do we age? Then what is sarcopenia? What causes it? And just little kind of quick little summaries of it. What are the consequences? How can we treat it? Um, and then a sort of summary and conclusion. But it, it puts a nice little bit on the how can we treat it. Just going into more detail about, okay, what can we do? Yes, actually, even though we know mTOR is linked um uh to to aging actually it's more complicated and talks through it and so progressive resistance training increasing muscle protein synthesis and especially the type 2 fibers um is a is a key target um and starts to talk about uh, sort of uh chronic mTOR sort of turning on and, and acute mTOR turning on and actually for a lot of that when, when I read that, then I started thinking, okay, that, that starts to feel a little bit, um, yeah, more like something I can get my head around in this idea that, yeah, doing training is great for people. But we all know that being an elite athlete and doing a lot of training probably isn't so good for people. Um, the other nice little bit that I liked on this one is it touches upon... Um, some of the experimental treatments um, in ch- talks a little bit about Yama- Yamanaka factors, which um, is a kind of, sort of fascinating area for the future if you haven't read about it before. So uh, that, that, that was some interesting stuff and definitely really got me kind of thinking about the my understanding of certain pathways and, and again, how, how complicated some of the work that we, we have to try and get our heads around is. The um, the final paper was uh, sort of more back to what I feel probably for most of us it is very familiar territory. This uh, idea of, of different groups fighting over carbohydrates and uh, fat, um, high fat and high carbohydrate diets. And from um, Tim Tim Noakes, uh, one of the authors, uh, needs no introduction. So the the, the name of the tr- of this was called the effects of carbohydrate versus fat restriction on lipid profiles in highly trained recreational distance runners, a randomised crossover trial, and it was published in Nutrients, first author Booger. 
And the bit I liked on this, and I hadn't seen too many times before, was just a really nice breakdown of the changes in bloods in athletes. Um, and it wasn't a huge number, but it was a crossover. And it was, a, it was enough to make me feel confident that when I... Because often athletes who are, certainly the older athletes who are going on to kind of keto diet whilst doing training will come in with worries about what's this going to do to my cholesterol, what does that mean? And it just gave a summary of what you can expect and what they found and in the kind of the the pros and cons of it and they found that this low carbohydrate uh, as expected lower triglycerides and VLDL it did increase total cholesterol LDL cholesterol and HDL cholesterol and that kind of reflects our current understanding of of lipids and the idea that total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol on their own aren't particularly useful measures um, and we would take away lots of positives from the lowered VLDL and the raised HDL so and it was is a 12 week study again so long enough to start to see those um the it looked like a 3 day weighted food uh, questionnaire um the training was self selected by the participants so they didn't fall for that well actually you you're just going to be working harder in the low carb group because you're not fueling in the same way um they didn't mention any performance tr- change so um and body weight stayed stable so i suppose much more a kind of um in interest for the cholesterol concerns rather than what's the best thing for it and often i'm finding with with these conversations with with people is that they're not really interested in asking which diet they should go on they'll have made their mind up based on what they've seen and what their colleagues have done what they want is some advice and some reassurance and a bit of a risk picture given to them for their particular cholesterol risk or or cardiac risk and in what their bloods were before and what this might do to them and what that might mean um, they did do a nice little bit at the end as well as just trying to touch on why the total cholesterol might go up and in they did, gave a little bit on the kind of well how is um how is total cholesterol formed what you get with keto ketosis and sort of beta hydroxybutyrate and a bit of that pathway so uh, a nice study um won't I think change anyone's uh, kind of uh, what they do day to day but if you're someone like me that has people come in regularly with those questions I think it'll be a nice little small but a nice little study to be able to go to and say this is what I could see happening with you because you're the same age sex in training style as these people and this is what they had previously. Well, I, I, that's it for me today. I hope you've had a fantastic week um, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks very much.